helping you and you helping other churches. We're in this together, and we believe that. We believe that it's going to take people from all across, all across this city, committed to the work of multiplying disciples for us to see God do the great things that he wants to do. I believe that we are on the precipice of seeing God do an incredible work in our city. I believe that with all of my heart. Two years ago when I was asked to step into this role, I was in the church that I thought was going to be my drop dead church. It was a church that God had called us to plant in the south end of Louisville, reaching out to the 85 different people groups in our neighborhood, seeing refugees from all around the world come to Christ, and we were seeing great things, and I thought, this has got to be it, Lord, there can't be a next. And then the call came, and it became clear that this missionary part that God had placed with in my heart needed a place to exercise itself and so he gave me the opportunity to step into this role and I'm so thankful because it's allowed me to have and to see all that God is doing in this last couple of years I've been in about 130 churches and uh, there's all different shapes and sizes believe me and some are interesting and some are strange and some are doing church like it's tomorrow and some are doing church like it's yesterday, 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 but so many churches with a passion for the word of God and with a passion for seeing people who are far from God come near to God through Christ and so it's exciting to see that God is at work in a great way and I'm so thankful that you're a part of that and that we're a part of you and for the opportunity to come and share God's word with you this morning. Um, the, the interesting question that I'm often asked is what's the, you know, let, let's think about the reality. So we have 165 churches and missions in just our association. This isn't including we have some crossover with Central District, but it's not including all the churches of Central District. It's not including all the other independent Baptist churches out there. It's not including churches that are faithful gospel preaching churches that aren't a part of our denomination. It's not including all of those, but even just in ours. We're at about the national average, and that is that 79% of our churches are plateaued or declining. I want, I want that to soak in a little bit. 79% of our churches are plateaued and declining. And, and we're doing a little better than the national average, which is just at or above 80%. 80% of evangelical churches across our country are plateaued, kind of just flatline, or are in decline. So a question that I'm often asked is, well, what's the trick? How do we fix it? All right? What's the magic pill? Everybody want, wants to know what's the program, what's the one thing, what is it that we do that's going to fix it? And I'll say to you what I say to them, there's no magic pill. There's no perfect program. There's no one size fits all. If you'll just do this, if you'll run this thing, then it'll all change. And you'll see growth and vibrancy again. No, it, 
It just doesn't work that way. This is what I believe is at the heart of it. What I believe is at the heart of it is that we have to get back to the heart of what God has called us to do. Of what Jesus commissioned us to do. It's really not that complicated when you think about it. Jesus gave very clear instructions to his disciples and by extension to us about what we're supposed to be doing while we wait on him to return. If I ask you to say what that is, you'd be able to say with me that we've been called to go and make disciples. Am I right? It's right, it's right in the text. And Jesus gave it in several different ways because he knew we were a little thick. We might not remember and understand it exactly when he, if he just said it once. So we've got about five different versions of this great commission calling us to go and preach the gospel, calling us to go and make disciples, calling us to be multipliers of what Jesus has done in us and to multiply that in others. So the answer to this then I think has to be tied up in what it is that Jesus has already commissioned and called us to do and, and the answer to doing that is both an individual thing and a corporate thing. Right? We're, I am called to make disciples, and we are called to make disciples, right? Those, those two things are tied together. So, so it's not just about us doing some courses on evangelism and saying we want to make each one of us better at doing that and it's not just about saying if we could program a discipleship program or have a discipleship class or get just the right discipleship material that that'll fix it right it's not that but it's instead us recognizing that making disciples is about us as individuals locking arms with one another and engaging the people around us with the powerful, transforming message of the gospel. With taking this excellent Jesus and introducing him to people who are far from the Father. With us building genuine relationships with our neighbors. With us putting down our walls and our defenses and taking some risks Maybe being in some places that we wouldn't naturally be and talking to some people that we wouldn't naturally talk to. Loving people who are pretty unlovable. Loving people like Jesus loved us even when we were enemies of his. You, you see it begins with each of us. And then us together encouraging one another and building a culture so that as we are telling people about Jesus as we are inviting them into our gospel community that they will be received with love and with grace. And I looked at like, what's up with that? Who's that? Why are they up in here? Oh. Individually and together, we're about making disciples. That's really what the answer is. And so I think that we have to think through and figure out, well, well, what does that look like? Can we find some examples that would help us as we think about engaging people who are far from God? As we think about 
engaging those who don't yet know Jesus. And my hope is that this story from the Bible will encourage you, will encourage you and help you to be ready to be obedient. To help you to understand the power of your transformed life. I think we underestimate far too often what God has done in us through Christ. And what that means that we can do for Him. Did you hear that? What God has done in us through Christ and therefore what we can do for Him. Our text this morning is from John chapter 4. It's one of my, it has become one of my favorite stories and I just find myself drawn to it. Over the last couple of years I just keep coming back to this story and trying to think through what all is happening in this story because it's, it's such a beautiful picture of transformation. It's such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to engage someone who is far from God and to see what can happen when the gospel takes hold in power in their life. So this is, this is one of the things, and let me just give you a list of some things that I trust that the text will challenge you to do. I trust that this text will challenge you to love people who are far from God. To love people who are far from God. I trust that this text will challenge you to see people like Jesus sees people. We could talk a while about that. I trust that this text will challenge you to see yourself like Jesus sees you. And that ain't psychology. That's seeing you like Jesus sees you. And I trust that this text will challenge you to see gospel power like Jesus sees gospel power. All right, so this is what I'm going to do. Uh, let, me just, let me just sort of tell you this story if I could. You can look there in John chapter 4. We're going to go all the way from verse 1 all the way down through verse 42. Now, if you're thinking, oh man, sometimes... Sometimes Pastor Nate just covers four or five verses, and we're here a little while. If he's going to come in and cover 42, we're going to be here a minute. I want to tell you the story, let you follow along in the text. I'm not going to read it. Uh, and, then I, and then I just want to hit the high points. And we can, we can sort out together. You can sort out together in community what some of the implications of this might be for you in particular. So the story begins still in Jerusalem. Jesus hears that the Pharisees are making a big deal out of the fact that Jesus is baptizing more people than John the Baptist. When in reality, Jesus wasn't the one doing the baptizing. It was his disciples doing the baptizing. But what was basically coming, they were trying to stir up a religious conflict. Jesus says, I'm not having any of that. No thanks. I don't want to be a part of a religious conflict. So he decides that he's going to go uh, from Judea and go back up to Galilee where he was from. But verse 4 has something interesting in it because in the story it tells us, and he had to pass through Samaria. 
Now we'll come back to that, but don't forget that little piece right there. It says he had, in an imperative sense, he had to go through Samaria. So he comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It was near the field that uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. There was a well there called Jacob's Well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's about noon in the day. They'd been walking for a long time. And Jesus was tired. So a woman from Samaria, from this town called Sychar, comes up to draw water in the middle of the day. That's a little odd right off the bat. And so Jesus says to her, give me something to drink. Well, this kind of freaked her out. See, his disciples had gone on. They had gone into town to get some food to eat. Jesus is here by himself, middle of the day. This woman comes in the middle of the day to dip some water, and Jesus asks her for a drink. It's weird, and we know it's weird, because the Samaritan woman says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan woman, and asking me for a drink? Because, you see, the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. So this was weird on a couple of different accounts. It was weird both on the fact that it was Jew, Samaritan. It was weird the fact that you had Jesus there as a man by himself, and a woman comes by herself, and he's talking to her and engaging her in conversation. Well, Jesus knows there's more to this than just wanting a drink. And so he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you, give me a drink, instead of you being weirded out by the fact that I've asked you for a drink, you'd be asking me for a drink. Now, she's not getting it yet. And so the woman says, well, sir, you don't even have a dipper. You don't even have a a bucket and a rope. How is it that you're going to get something and give me something to drink? Are you even greater? Even Jacob, our father, had to have something to dip the water out. Are you greater than him? He could have obviously said yes, but he didn't. Are you greater than him that you can give me some water out of the well? Jesus takes it even deeper, and he says, look, everyone who drinks of this water is going to keep on getting thirsty. You can drink and drink and drink and drink, and you're still going to get thirsty. The water that I'm talking about, woman, when people drink of this water, they're never going to get thirsty again. The water that I'm talking about is going to become like a spring of living water inside of that person that's going to lead to eternal life. Do you get the idea here that Jesus is talking on this level right here and that she's still hanging out about right down here? All right, that, that's kind of that's where this conversation, you've been in conversations like that before, right? You're trying to talk about Jesus to somebody and they're, they're kind of down here. They're worried about what their checkbook's doing. They're worried about what's going on with the neighbors. They're worrying about what's happening on the news, right? And you're trying, you're trying to get them to that place. The woman thinking she understands what's going on says, that sounds great. Give me some of that water. I'll take it. If you've got water, that means I'm not going to have to hike up here to this well every day to get water. I'll take some of what you got. I'm buying what you're selling, Jesus. I'll take some of that water. Jesus says to her, realizing maybe some of the social awkwardness of the moment, maybe, 
But I think more importantly, Jesus wanting to take things, he's wanting to grab her and bring her into the level of the conversation where he's at. So he speaks to her about the deepest wound of her soul. That's what's happening here. I want you to see that. When he says what he's about to say to her, he's not just trying to be, he, he, he's not, he, this isn't some trite thing. He's not trifling with her. He, he's trying to get her to the conversation that he's trying to have with her. And so he says to her, again, socially appropriately, oh, I'll tell you what, why don't you go and call your husband and come back here? Maybe this conversation is better for us to have with your husband with you. And the woman answered him, maybe a little bit self-righteously, I don't know. Well, I don't have a husband. Now here's where it gets deep, right? Jesus said to her, you're right. You've told the truth, you don't have a husband. Actually, you had five husbands. And the dude you're living with right now, he ain't even your husband. Right? You ever have one of those moments with Jesus where you're trying to hide, you're trying to kind of skirt around the realities of what's going on, and Jesus just opens it up right in front of you, and he tells you the truth about what's really going on in your heart, and you realize that Jesus sees everything. He, he sees it all. He sees it all. But he says to her, so I guess what you've said is true. It ain't all true. You didn't tell everything, but it's true. Now here it gets interesting again. The woman's realizing that the conversation that's being had right now is different than what she thought was being had. Suddenly she realized we're not talking about water anymore. Now all of a sudden it appears that this guy knows what's going on in the deeper recesses of my life. Or maybe he's been spying on me. Or maybe somebody came and told him something, but yet he's a Jew who's come from Judea. I've never seen him before, haven't seen him around, so how could he know? But yet he seems to know these deeper things. What's the, man, he's getting way too close to the heart of the matter for me. What, what, what can I do now? Let's make it about religion. We'll do that. So the woman says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Man, you know a lot. You know, our fathers worshipped on this mountain over here. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. Right? So she wants to now have a religious discussion. First she just wanted some water so she didn't have to hike up the hill. Now she realizes something deep's going on, but she doesn't want to go that deep. So she's going to bring it somewhere in the middle and just talk a little bit about church. You know that church, that's all full of them hypocrites. You know that, right? You know that church, they, they voted wrong or they voted right or they didn't do this or they didn't do that. You know that, those church folks, you can't trust them. You know, well, well what about John 1, 1, those people say as they come to your door? You know, we think it says this, but you think it says that. I want to make it all about religion. And Jesus says, woman, woman, woman. That's my interpretation, right? And he's shaking his head while he's saying it, right? This is an SMH moment. He's shaking his head. Woman, woman, woman. 
Mm. I'm telling you what, the, the hour's going to come when worship is not going to happen on your mountain or our mountain, but worship is something that's going to be a matter of the heart. And the reality is that the only true worship is the worship that happens in spirit and in truth. Ultimately, the truth of who I am and what I'm about to do on behalf of mankind. That's truth. Basically what he's saying, because he says of himself, right? Remember when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying is, worship, my dear lady, is about me. Not about your mountain, or our mountain, or anybody else's mountain. Jesus is having no part of this distraction with just chatting it up about religion. God is spirit, he says, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here's where it gets beautiful right here, 25 and 26. Look at what happens. The woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. So we're seeing a breakthrough happening right here in her heart, right? We're beginning to see her eyes open. The scales are being lifted off her eyes, and she's realizing, wait a minute now, maybe this guy's not just a prophet. Maybe this guy's not just somebody who knows stuff about me. Maybe there's something more going on. Her, the, the veil is beginning to be lifted for her. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us what's the truth. He, he's going to tell us how it really is. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says to her, I am who speak to you am he. Man, do you, I, I, want, I want you to picture in your minds the beauty of this moment. This whole conversation's been going back and forth. And here's this moment when the Spirit of God is cracking open the heart of this woman like he did in Acts chapter 16 with Lydia there at the creekside at the moment of prayer when Paul shares Jesus with her. He, he's beginning to open up her heart to see the truth and she says, well, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 know that, I know that there's a Messiah and that he's coming. He's the promised one. And when he comes, he's going to make it all make sense to us. And Jesus standing right there in front of her in the middle of Samaria near a town called Sychar at the well of Jacob. Jesus is standing there in the heat of the day, having come weary, so weary that he didn't even go to town to get food with the disciples, but he just sat there at the well. Now this unexpected conversation with this woman, and what does he say to her? He says, it's me. Right? It's me. My prayer and my guess is, is that the majority of you have had it's an it's me moment with Jesus. Right? You searched, you worked out, you, you, you did all the stuff in your head that you could. You tried to figure it all out. You tried to figure it out with religion. You tried to figure it out with maybe other stuff. You pursued all kinds of things to fix the brokenness in your life. Finally, you came to the end of yourself. And you saw the truth of Jesus laid out before you. And you had your it's me moment. Well, as the devil is wont to do, he decided to throw another distraction in the mix. For the work of Jesus had already been done. 
In verse 27, it says, just then the disciples came back. They marveled. I think we could interpret that word a different way. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But they were so freaked out at it, they, they didn't even, they didn't say any of the two questions that are mentioned here. They didn't look at the woman and say, what in the world are you doing here talking to our Jesus? Do you know who you're talking to? What are you doing? Nor did they say to them, to Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? Do you not know what kind of woman this is? We, we heard down in town, this woman's been married five times and the dude she's living with now is not even her husband. Do you realize the scandal that it could create if those people saw you talking to this woman by yourself up here by the well? Jesus, what are you doing? This could ruin us. They didn't have the guts to ask either one of those questions. So the woman left. This is why I know that, that her heart was being transformed and that everything was changing. She left her water jar, right? Her priorities had changed. The, the point of what was going on in her life had changed. She wasn't there to get water anymore. She had already received the water that Jesus had promised, the water that wells up in the soul like a spring and brings eternal life. She already was in the midst of that transformation. She said, I don't need this water jar anymore. You know what I got to do? I got to go back and tell somebody. I got to go tell somebody what's going on here. I got to tell somebody who's up here at our well. If they they got to come, they got to come meet this guy. And so she leaves her water jar and she goes into town and she says to the people, "Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" I think for her that's a rhetorical question. She knows the answer already and she wants them to know the answer as well. So they went out of the town and were coming to him. While that's happening, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, although it's an important passage. In verse 31 through 38, while she's going back to tell them and they're coming towards the well, he has this conversation with the disciples. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him and saying, Rabbi, please eat. We went and got you some food. Eat. We know how tired you are, how exhausted you are. You haven't had anything to eat or drink. Please eat something. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now the disciples are the ones who are acting dumb. And they're like, well, who brought him food? Did one of you guys sneak back up here? Did a vendor come by? Was there a food truck when we weren't looking? How did he already eat? So now they're the ones that are down here in the conversation. And Jesus, uh, his very own disciples, just not understanding we, we all have those moments. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What, what he goes on to describe is this harvest moment that's coming. And that God is doing his work. That God is preparing the field. That God is preparing people that are far from him to come to know him. And that what he needs is reapers. What he needs is laborers. What he needs is people willing to sow the seed and people willing to reap the seed of the gospel. This is what's interesting to me. What he's talking to them and having this intellectual conversation to try to explain to them is what this woman has already understood intuitively. Right? The woman got it. 
She knew what was going on and who was talking to her, and she had to go get somebody else to tell them and bring them to Jesus. The disciples are like, well, we're not quite sure we understand all of the implications of the theological ramifications of what all's going on here. Jesus, could you explain it to us a little bit more again, right? Finally, the story concludes. Verse 39, many of those Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So this is beautiful. The first step in the work of God that's happening here is that they're buying the story. They're believing it because they see this woman and the transformation that's taking place in her. But then, but then, they saw that it was not about her. It was about Jesus. So they ask him to stay. He stays two days. And many more believed because of his word. And listen to the summary here in 42. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The transformation that takes place. All right, so that's the story. And obviously I told it a little broader than maybe what it was and gave a little commentary in there. Let me give you the outline so that you can see what I, what I think is happening here and what maybe are some hooks for us to not forget what's going on in this story and for us to think about the example that Jesus gives us in the way that he engaged and then what took place. So really it's two parts that I want you to walk away with today. One is to see we have an example in how Jesus engages this woman that we can utilize and think about. Some realities that are going on here that we can think about as we engage lost people, as we engage people that are far from God. But there's also this piece about the woman that I don't want us to miss, that I want us to see about what happens for her and the testimony that that should be for all of us that no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've been through, no matter what our past history drags behind, God can use us because of the power of the gospel. Okay? So let me give you these, and you've got a half a piece of paper there to write these down. And then that way, if you've been napping for the first part of this, you can write these down. If anybody asks, you can tell them like you were actually here and awake through the whole thing. I'm just teasing. First, there's a where in this. Unexpected places. Sometimes our opportunities to engage people far from God are going to happen in unexpected places. That's essentially what 1 through 6 kind of describes here. It was in all places in Samaria. Now I told you we were going to come back to verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. That's not exactly true. It's, it's true apparently in a spiritual sense. It's not necessarily true in the sense of geography. He could have gone... He could have gone up to Galilee another way, and it was the way that Jews always went, and that was going around Samaria, because Jews hated Samaritans. Why? Because Samaritans were just half-breeds. That's what they believed, right? Samaritans were those Jews that had been left during the Babylonian exile, and they had intermixed with the people of, uh, of that area, and so they weren't considered pure Jews, and so the Jews hated the Samaritans. So the last thing that a Jew wanted to do is pass through Samaria. But this text tells us that Jesus 
had to pass through Samaria. I believe that Jesus had to pass through Samaria because he had a woman that he needed to meet at Jacob's well at a city called Sychar. That's why he had to do that. That's how important every single individual is to Christ. That's how important you are to Christ. That's how important your lost neighbor is to Christ. That's how important that drug dealer down the road is to Christ. He had to go through there. It was a place that his disciples, we don't have record of it, but I bet we're saying, seriously, really? Are you sure we got to go through there? Now, maybe because they were rough and tumble fishermen, they were like, all right, we'll go through. But they just wanted to get through. And Jesus knew he had a divine appointment. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who know Christ, we, we need to be around lost people. Am I right? Now, I'm not saying be around lost people as in be indistinguishable from lost people. I'm not saying hang around in such a way that people don't even know the difference from us. Right? But I'm saying if we're going to have a gospel testimony, if we're going to be able to share the gospel with people, we've got to be around people who need the gospel, who, who need to hear. So we've got to be in some unexpected places. We've got to be willing to take some risks in that. The, the where you are leads to the who you get to spend time with and talk to and have relationships with and have an impact on. Now, again, this is a balance, Right? I mean, if you've got a history with drug addiction and all that, I'm not asking you to go hang on the corner. That'd be dumb, right? But, but you've got other ways that I think you could engage those relationships. But we've got to be with lost people if we're going to have an impact on lost people. That's just good math. Jesus gave us an example of being in unexpected places. There's also a who in this story. He gave us a... Testimony of not only being in unexpected places, but being with unexpected people. Being with unexpected people. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. Look at the contrast between there and chapter 3. Who is he hanging out with in chapter 3? Nicodemus. The Pharisee of the Pharisees. The teacher of the teachers in Jerusalem. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't care whether you're the most religious person or the most irreligious person. You need him one way or the other, and he's willing to hang out to be able to let you meet him. And we should have that same willingness to be with people who maybe we've written off. Now, let me say a word about this woman and her history. This is the woman that everybody talked about, but nobody wanted to be around. This is a woman that everybody knew. Now, in my mind, that plays out at the end of the story because here's the woman that everybody had an opinion of and not good, right? Right? I mean, I want to scan the room for our age range in here before. I mean, it, it appears pretty clear from the testimony of what it describes of her. This woman was a whore. That's what she was. I mean, let's just be blunt. Nobody wanted, nobody wanted any part of her unless they wanted a part of her. 
that here's Jesus having this conversation with her. Why? Because he values her soul. Because he values her eternity. And, and, and he's willing to take the risks to engage in this conversation because of what she means to the kingdom. And we'll see later that she's willing to take the risks to, in a whole new way, expose herself to the people of that town to ridicule and to commentary and everything else to be able to say, I've just met the Messiah. Unexpected people. People that desperately need to know the love of Christ and the message of the gospel that we've written off. That we've marginalized in such a way that we've put ourselves in a position as believers and as the church that what does Romans say? How are they going to hear if they don't have a preacher? Right? We talk about that passage when we're talking about sending missionaries to the end of the globe, and we should. But do we talk about that when we talk about the people that we hate? The people that we don't think are worthy? The people that we think are so bad or so sinful or so wicked that they might not even deserve the gospel? You say, preacher, I would never say that. I know you wouldn't, and I wouldn't either, but I just did. how we act there's a what in this story and the what is the unchanging message Jesus wants to talk to her about living water he wants to talk to her about himself he wants to turn the conversation to have the moment to be able to say it's me right that's what he's focused on he, 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 he engages her in a way that is compelling. His message draws her to say, yeah, I'll, I'll take some of that. Even though she didn't fully understand it yet, she knew that something was different about him. It was a message that was plain and clear. And the, the gospel message should be plain. It's what we share. It should be as simple as what I'm spending this season with the Iroquois High School basketball team talking about. And that is this simple, beautiful picture of three circles that says we have been created with God's design, but we have resisted and run away from that design, and that's called sin, and it leads us to brokenness, brokenness in the world and brokenness in our own lives. And we try to fix that brokenness with all these things we pursue, but it never works. It fails time and time again. And that the only hope that we have is in the gospel, the good news that Jesus, God himself, came and took on flesh. He died on a cross and he rose again in victory. And that when we repent and turn away from our sin and turn to God, and when we believe in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that we then can recover and restore God's design in our lives because of the work of the gospel. That's the simple, plain gospel message that we should be talking to people about, right? And quit getting distracted and quit running off on tangents and all of that. And keep the focus where the focus needs to be. The unchanging message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about, brothers and sisters. And if you're here today and that's not what you're about I'm saying to you, like Jesus said to this woman, that's what you ought to be about. That's real water. 
that's water. You're going to go back. You're going to chase after to fix your brokenness, and you're going to try to, and you're just going to fill up the bucket, fill up the bucket, fill up the bucket, and you'll always be thirsty. But you drink of Jesus, and you won't be thirsty again in your soul. Right? And so if you've come here today because mama or grandma or somebody, cousin, asked you to come, and it's the last one of the year, and you figured, why not? That message right there is for you. That truth is for you. And I don't want you to walk out of here lost and far from God today. I want you to trust that it's him. Jesus is the Messiah. And he died and rose again for you. And you can have new life in him if you'll repent and believe. That's the message for you today. Let me wrap this up. That's what preachers say when they're not about to wrap it up, but they just want you to feel better about it. There's how here. Jesus not only comes with a very clear, unchanging message, but he comes with an unvarnished approach and an unswerving focus. An unvarnished approach and an unswerving focus. What I mean by that, simple, plain truth, honest approach to sin. Jesus isn't messing around here. I think sometimes we're so worried about offending people or we're so worried about, you know, how touchy people are and all of that stuff sometimes that we won't call sin, sin, and we won't bring people to a place to see that they need a Jesus. Because, see, if I don't believe in sin, then I don't believe in Jesus. Right? There's no point. And, and Jesus comes to the heart of it. Now, I'm not encouraging you to be a self-righteous jerk. Right? That's part of the problem sometimes. It's not that we're being honest about Jesus and honest about sin. It's just that we're being jerks. And so people are offended because of how we act and the way that we speak to them. That's not what we see Jesus doing. Jesus says the hardest thing to this woman that could have been said. Right? He speaks to the deepest part of the wound of her soul, these relationships that she's had. It's clear that this woman has a brokenness in her that has caused her to to go through serial relationships, broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship, and now she's still pursuing that in an unhealthy and an ungodly way. And Jesus goes right to the heart of it, but in a way that reveals the truth without mocking her. It's an unvarnished, direct approach. Here's the reality. Unlike Jesus, now Jesus could do that in full righteousness. We can't. It's actually easier for us to be this way with people because we know what failure is. Anybody in here perfect and without failure in their life? Don't raise your hand because then you're going to be a liar and you'll fail for the first time. Right? We all know what it means to be broken and we can be honest about other people's brokenness as we're honest about ours. There's an unswerving focus here, right? When she wanted to turn the conversation, she didn't want to look at her life. She wanted to talk religion, and Jesus turns it right back. We've got to stay focused on Jesus. We've got to do the same thing. There will be conversations that we'll be having with people, and they'll want to talk about all these other things. We just need to keep talking about Jesus. We need to trust that the Holy Spirit is at work. We need to trust that we're not going to have the perfect outline or the perfect words to say, that ultimately it's going to be the Holy Spirit opening up that person's heart. And if they want to race down some tangent or something like that, maybe there's going to be a time that we just say, thanks so much, I appreciate you listening to me, maybe we can come back and have this conversation again. 
If you ever want to talk about this again, maybe we can do that sometime. But Jesus, Jesus kept drawing it back to the, to the point. Now, sometimes I think in this unswerving focus, we say, well, it's hard to be focused because I'm just so tired, Todd. You don't know how busy I am. You know, I'm working two jobs, and I got a family. I got all these other things going on. And, it, and it's just, I'm so tired. I, 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 just, I just, I'm exhausted, and I, it's just hard to, it's hard to talk to people about Jesus when you're so tired. Really? You saw where Jesus started out in verse 6, right? It says he was wearied. It says he was, he was what I would call... Growing up in L.A., Lower Alabama, he was just dog tired. That's what Jesus was. He was just worn out, and he plopped down by that well, and he was hungry. Sent his disciples on to get some food. He was thirsty, asked this woman for water. But when the opportunity to do the work of his father came, he was willing and ready. He had an unswerving focus that he knew why he was here on this earth. Brothers and sisters, we've been left here for a reason. You know that, right? You know that it would have been, it would have made a whole lot more sense to me if, right, we pray to receive Christ, we have a moment of trusting Christ, Christ transforms our lives, and then we're gone and in heaven. Wouldn't that make more sense to you? And in that way, we'd just be sorting it out, right? It'd be like building a puzzle. We'd know we only got a few pieces left, so we're almost done. But it's not that way. He leaves us here so that we can continue to do the work of the gospel, so that we can continue to tell others and invite them to come. Doesn't matter how worn out you might be. You can be in the right place at the right time and willing to give the right message in a way that's not that's not covered up with all kinds of other stuff. It's to the point. Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit want to do what only they can do, and that's bring unexpected results. That's what the end of this passage tells us, is that there were unexpected results. Not only is this woman transformed, but the whole, the whole town. I mean, people all over the town are transformed. And it's because God did only what God could do, but he did it through, and here's the last point, an unapologetic witness. That's what happens when God transforms our lives. He turns us into unapologetic witnesses. Can you imagine? This is, this is the last point I promise that I want to make. Can you imagine what this woman, who had the reputation that she had, when she shows back up in town and says, I've just met the Messiah. Can you imagine what the reaction to that was? You? Wait, wait, the Messiah that we've been praying for, right? The, the one that we've been expecting for all of these years. He comes to our town, and you're the one he picks? Does he not know what you are? Does he not know who you are? Does he not know what you've done? Does he not know how many men you've been with? And you, right? Can you imagine the boldness in this transformed woman's heart that empowered her to go in spite of what was going to be said to her and to say, I've just met a man who knew everything about me. you got to come and see and meet him too. Right? This is what happens when God changes our lives. 
And brothers and sisters, this is the passion that we need to stir in our own souls afresh and anew as we go into 2019. Too many of us have become too complacent. Too many of us have become too comfortable. Too many of us are worrying way too much about what somebody's going to think if we give a witness in front of them. Too many of us are worried about maybe a little rejection. This woman was transformed in such a way that she had no other choice, no other option but to speak the truth about what she had seen and heard. She was a rebel that had become a worshiper. That's spirit and truth right there, right? That's spirit and truth. That's transformation. She became an eyewitness. She knew she didn't need to be an expert witness, right? You know the difference between the two, right? An expert, now I don't, I'm not a lawyer. Anybody, any lawyers in here? All right, that's good. We can speak honestly. Um, just kidding. I love lawyers, I guess. But I watch enough TV shows, right? An expert witness is like that blood expert witness, right? That DNA expert. Right? So he comes in, he's detached from the case, right? Doesn't necessarily have anything vested in the case or anything like that, but just simply comes and, and says, I've examined the science of all of this, and this and this plus this equals this, and so this is what's going on. I'm an expert witness, there's my expert opinion. Well, that's one level of testimony. But eyewitness testimony, what, what are they saying? Eyewitness testimony is simply saying, this is what I saw, and this is what I heard. I looked out the window, and I saw that dude right there punch that dude right there in the nose and laid him out. And then he stood over him, and he said, if you get up again, I'm going to punch you right back in your nose again. That's what I saw and heard. I don't know the expert thing or the physics of how he swung his arm or how it hit his nose. I don't know what happened before. I'm not sure what happened after. I just saw that and heard that, and that's, what, that's an eyewitness, right? And this woman knew that all she needed to do was to be an eyewitness. All she needed to do was to say, I met a man, he knew everything about me, you've got to come and meet him. My life, I, something's changed, it's transformed, I don't know how to explain it completely, but come and meet this Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let's just be that. Let, let, let's just quit worrying about being experts in everything. I praise God for some of the experts that we had, and we got so many experts in this city, it's crazy. But the experts aren't winning Louisville to Christ. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us being good neighbors. It's going to take all of us being in unexpected places with unexpected people, right? Having an unchanging message shared. They came on her testimony that they believed on him. Let's do that. Let's do that. It's going to take some boldness and risk. And you might say, I I'm kind of scared of that. I've never really done that. Well, let me encourage you. I want to encourage you to pray. God, help me. Help my unbelief. Help my, 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 my maybe fear. Help me, help me have a spirit of boldness. Help me to have the wisdom to know who to go to and when to go to them. Pray. I want to encourage you to plan. If, if you don't feel like you have the basic tools to do that, uh, this is how, this how the conversation would go. Pastor Nate, 
I really want to tell my neighbor about Jesus, but I'm not sure exactly I'm not sure exactly what to say. I guarantee you that would cause an immediate conversation in which your pastor or any other leader in this church would sit down with you and give you a simple plan that you can share with your neighbor. And at the end of the day, your plan may be not even to have that. It may be just to share your testimony with your neighbor. Say, this is what I used to be. This is what happened when Jesus came in, and this is what it looks like now. That's what what Paul did, right? Hey, let me tell you about my life before I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Let me tell you how I met him on the road to Damascus. And let me tell you what my life has been ever since then. Right? Have, Have a simple plan. Have a simple plan. And then proceed. Do what God's called us to do, brothers and sisters. That's what we're about. So we got two responses here, and Brother Nate's going to come. I'm going to pray, and then Brother Nate's going to come. we got two big-picture possible responses that I want to say to you. One is, and most importantly, if you're here today, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you've got no other more important business to do today than with him. And I want to encourage you. He's the living water. He's the water which will cause a well of life to spring up in your soul and you'll have everlasting life and you'll never thirst spiritually again. Come to Jesus this morning. Trust him. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the simple message that Jesus preached and that's the message that I give to you today. Respond to Jesus today in trusting him. Believers that are here today, can we make a commitment with each other and with the Lord today that we're going to go into 2019 with a commitment to pray, to plan, and proceed to do exactly what Jesus modeled for us and to see people who are far from God and to introduce them to him. Let's be about that as we go into this new year. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you. God, I know that my attempt to share this passage has been inadequate today and so Holy Spirit I ask that you take the broken pieces of what I've said and that you place them together in the hearts of your people that are here today Holy Spirit I ask that the truth of this message rest rest deeply in the hearts of those that have listened God that you would use this message to encourage us that we would see what you've done And what you're doing and what you want to do and that you want to use us no matter what we've come from. That you've transformed us and made us your witnesses. Holy Spirit, help us to see that and to feel the boldness of that and to be willing to take risks to share you with others. Lord, help us today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that if there's one or more here today that don't have a relationship with you, that you would awaken their hearts that you would reveal to them the clarity of their sin let them see the brokenness that has come and that their only hope is in the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done will you transform hearts even this morning Holy Spirit and would there be a fresh boldness in transformed hearts to stand and to say I've trusted Jesus And I want to go tell others about him. Lord, help us. We need you. We need you. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we go into this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.